You're listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author Sarah Box, where you get the inside scoop on the steps action takers and decision makers take to align their purpose to their principles and achieve their goals in business and life. We focus on the mantra, no labels, no limits, no excuses. And now, without further ado, please welcome your commanding coach with plenty of chutzpah and heart, Sarah Box. Hey there, No Labels, No Limits podcast listeners. I want to grab just a couple of minutes before we start today's podcast and let you know about a new membership community that's opening up. It's called The Sandbox. Now, The Sandbox was explicitly designed so that folks like you, who have big dreams and goals, who are working on busting through limiting labels and beliefs, who are overcoming challenges, have a place to come, A, to be encouraged, to get tips and tools, to meet other people and share ideas, and just relax. So as a member, you're going to have exclusive access to an extensive library of training, tools, and resources that have been meticulously crafted over the years. But that's not all. You are actually in the driver's seat, so you can help shape the direction of the content and the sandbox. So what's actually in the sandbox? Well, there will be expert sessions that will be tailored to your needs with a focus on the questions that come from our community. There are group learning sessions, live trainings, Q&A sessions, and we will be sharing inspiring membership success stories. You will have an opportunity to learn and grow alongside fellow Sandbox community members. If you need guidance or support, our online forum is going to be the perfect space to engage with other members, ask questions, find motivation, and share your success with the Sandbox community. We are committed to your success, and that's why we're offering monthly challenges and support check-ins, ensuring you're always on track. So click the link below and put your name either on the waiting list or sign up today for the Sandbox community, and we'll see you there where the dreams will be unleashed and you'll start making rapid progress. I welcome to this episode of the No Labels, No Limits podcast, a podcast all about helping action takers and decision makers like you align your purpose to your principles and achieve your goals in business and life. I'm Sarah, your host, and I'm often referred to by friends and colleagues as your vision Sherpa because I work alongside leaders and their teams to go after what they desire by aligning their vision and their beliefs with inspired and informed action, all so they can achieve their goals while actually enjoying their lives at home and at work. And I'm here to tell you that the life you want is possible with the right support, mindset, and strategy, and mentors just like today's guest. So we're going to be joined by Michelle Cohen. And let me tell you a little bit about Michelle. First of all, I was telling her before we hit live that I had fun poking around on her information, and I realized This interview could go a number of ways, so we'll see where it goes. But Michelle is a dynamic creative force featured on CNN, Good Morning America, MTV, and NPR's All Things Considered. It's her diverse talents that have graced People Magazine, Entertainment Weekly, the Chicago Tribune, and the Washington Post. And Michelle effortlessly seems to move between the entertainment industry, writing, and the Unseen. She co-founded an irresistible content creation company at www, I guess we don't have to say that anymore, but really, really inc.com. And don't worry, anything we refer to in the episode, as you know, will be linked in the show notes. But her impressive achievements include, listen to this folks, producing the off-Broadway hit Schoolhouse Rock Live and publishing Jeff Corey's memoir, Improvising Out Loud, that had an introduction by Leonard Nimoy and the art by Jack Nicholson. Now, there is some um, heavy hitters to be connected to. Mm-hmm. And a respected figure in self-help, Michelle has authored books like Of Course You Can Sing, The Intuition Toolkit, Actually, There Is Something Under the Bed, and Menopop. So you can see the range of her writing and topics is just great. And for decades, Michelle has shared her wisdom through workshops, lectures, and private sessions, empowering numerous individuals on their personal journeys and helping them tap into their inner guidance. See the alignment here, folks, with the podcast. Mm-hmm. It's her dedication to growth and adaptation 
that is exemplified by her humorous account of retaining her speech habits when confronted with a unique theater contract. I'm going to ask her about that because I, as I was reading about that, I was actually laughing out loud. I'm thinking, oh, Michelle, my friend, I can only imagine. So in this episode, though, I'm going to ask Michelle to share with us what led to the formation of her entertainment company and what she's learned along the way. Uh, more about that very unusual contract agreement she signed and its implications, what lights her up today and her dreams for the future, and as usual, we'll likely veer off path to chat about other interesting things along the way, either identified by me or Michelle. So mm -hmm. hi, Michelle. With that introduction, let me formally welcome you to the show. Hi, Sarah. Thank you. I am thrilled and ready to giggle with you. This is going to be so much fun. Thank you for having me on. Well, you are very, very welcome. And speaking of giggling, that's actually my first question for you. Um, who or what has made you laugh out loud in the last 24 hours? Uh, me, first and foremost. <laughs> I make sure that every day is full of laughter. That's actually, I've told my brother once, he once said to me, how can I help you? And I said, Please make sure to check in. And if I have lost my sense of humor, we know I'm in trouble. So for me, it's all about laughter. And my business partner is a Ringling Brothers clown. So that makes it easy. <laughs> oh, so my goodness. That's so great. Cycle around the horses. That would be fun. <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> I don't think so, Michelle, but I, I do appreciate that visual. <laughs> Well, that is great. So you're you're a regular laugh out loud kind of person. Yeah, I really find that even in I've had some treacherous situations. I've had, you know, stuff. Now I've lived long enough. When you live long enough, stuff goes wrong. And the thing I would have to say is what keeps me uh, going, what keeps me positive, what keeps me ready to get into the next day is even in something that's abysmal or dismal or awful, I literally say, where can I find the funny? Where can I find it? And it, it's not like a ha-ha funny necessarily, but the perspective. Where can I shift this where I can make it a lighter situation? I, I, I mean, I'll tell the story because it's one of my favorites. I'm fine, but I had been uh, in the hospital for surgery. And, you know, nobody wants to <laughs> be in that situation. And I was, you know frightened and upset and in pain and not okay. And I thought, okay, here's a challenge. How do I make this interesting? Well, I decided instead of just me going into make-believe funny land, I was going to bring all of the doctors and nurses with me. So next thing you know, I had, you know, that IV in your, in your arm. And I turned to the nurse who, he looked like George Clooney. We called him Nurse George Clooney. And I said, hey, this is my boyfriend. What's his name? And he's like, Paul. I'm like, oh, Paul the Pole. Okay, great. So next thing we know, everyone comes in. I'm like, hi, this is Paul. We're very attached. We're really, you know, we're going out. It's been great. And then they started playing with me so that Nurse George Clooney at what point goes, are you cheating on me? And I'm like, what? It's like, are you cheating on me? And I was like, I'm sorry. We'll talk about it in therapy. And like, we all just started playing. And any time that, I mean, everyone kept wanting to come in and like take care of me more because... We were just being so silly, and I was able to get through what is technically one of the worst experiences you could be having, and I literally, when I got home, I thought, wow, except for the surgery part, I kind of had a good time, <laughs> which exactly. is ridiculous, but also I gave a good time to all of these unbelievably overworked, exhausted people where they knew when they come to take care of me that they were going to get a little sparkle in their day as well. So, yeah, I, I, I mean, that's how extreme I can get in terms of wanting to make everything a party. <laughs> well, but, you know, that's a really good example of how shifting perspective changes everything. Yeah. It doesn't change necessarily the fact of the moment, but it sure can change how you interact with people, how they interact back with you and the memory you take from that. Like you said, I came home from the hospital and other than why I was there, it wasn't so bad. Right. Versus. Yeah. Coming home and thinking, I never got the attention I needed and I had to have this IV bag and blah, 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 right? So, and who wants to hear that? Exactly. And it becomes this fun story that I can tell you. <laughs> that is pretty funny. I'm thinking, okay, that was very clever. Thank you. 
You and Paul, I hope your relationship had an amicable breakup. Amicable well, actually, breakup. what was very funny, at one point, my arm blew up and they had to take it out. So I started saying, yeah, we're having trouble. We need our space. I just, I don't want him near me right now. I mean, we really... <laughs> oh, my God. Ran the gamut. It was pretty fun. Oh. All right. So that was one example. Now, going back a little further, mm-hmm. can you think um, either collectively or of a couple more in mind, like how certain hardships you've had um, and those you've overcome have really helped to kind of shape where you are today and how they've contributed to the growth and transformation in your own life? Mm. I know that's kind of a big question, but I think you're up to it. <laughs> I'll take it on. Um, sure. I mean, here's the thing. I think any experience you have molds you. That's the whole point of being here. And the more open you are to having more experiences, you know that not all of them are going to work out. And to start looking at that, and not necessarily with pleasure, but definitely with curiosity of like, oh, wow, okay, that didn't work. Why? And then to be able to start discovering, okay, is there stuff in me that needs attention? Is there stuff in people around me? Is it not the right timing? And I find that the more, I mean, come on, I grew up as an actor, so you're rejected, technically rejected every five minutes. Um, you know, you just keep not getting roles until you get the role. And so you become very sturdy and that becomes sort of your normal. And you don't really think about it as rejection anymore. It's like, oh, okay, not that one, something else. So I think each time I've gotten, le- it, it takes shorter time to recover. Um, and it, it gives, I'm able to look at it from the gift side more now, because now with perspective and with distance, I can see, oh, thank God that didn't happen. Or oh, I'm so glad that that worked out, you know, or, oh, I really learned, you know, now that I know who I am a little bit better, I'm actually going to handle that better next time. So each thing I think builds on not only your stamina, but also your, your ease with yourself and with what's going on. I think each project becomes easier and mine keep getting like larger and larger in scope. And I don't think I could have handled that, you know, when I was younger and still freaking out over every little thing. That's interesting because I think I I totally agree with you. Like sometimes the rejection or the no or not yet is the best thing, mm-hmm. Bec- but you won't know that. If you just never try again, because that'll be the last thing you remembered was your rejection, right? Versus like that was a step along the way. And just like you, there have been times I thought, oh, my God, I totally dodged that. Thank you. Right. You don't know that, though. Also, I've learned along the way I have not failed at anything because I'm not dead yet. That's right. You're still here. The bottom line is it just hasn't worked out yet. That's the only difference. I can stay at something for years. Like the only reason it would not happen is because either I've lost interest or I have other things I want to do, or it's just too annoying to try to make happen. But other than that, I have things, projects I've been working on for 20, 30 years. They're still bad. They're still happening. I don't see them as, yeah, it's funny. I can't even imagine them as failures. It's just like, oh, I can't wait till those things actually happen. That's how I see it. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes those things, by the time they roll around to happening, you or I think I've grown to a point where they actually happen better than I could have imagined them five years before. Right. Yeah. The experiences and the people and all that stuff that in the intervening time weren't there. Well, I'll give you a phenomenal example. So 20 years ago, uh, my company at the time were dealing with television and one of the main people involved went into menopause. And we, it took us, none of us, all of us were way younger than she was and none of us knew what was going on. And we wanted to make her feel better. So we started looking for, well, well, there's, you know, again, the funny, where's the funny things about menopause? And they were nowhere to be seen. So we still can't figure out why, but we suddenly had the impulse and we did, we created the world's first menopause pop-up and activity book called Menopause. And we were clear and sure that the world wanted a deep of this. There were so many women in struggle and in pain and thinking they were alone. Well, 20 years ago, it was unbelievable the amount of resistance we got from the media 
no one, no one wanted to be associated with it, wanted to talk about it. I had, I, I had incredible connections. So I was up at The View. I was dealing with like Kelly and Regis and that whole crew. And they all said, Michelle, you have the best pitch we've ever seen. We cannot put this book live. We just can't do it. So we sat there with a lot of books that we had created and people who obviously would want it or need it and absolutely no way to get to them. And it was, it was traumatic. It was a lot of, I mean, there was so much that we put into this and we invested and we felt so deeply about helping people. Well, cut to my Ringling Brothers clown partner very smartly said, I think let's not give this up. And I said, okay. 20 years later, this past year, and we, I can clock it, all of a sudden, people have discovered there's menopause going on, and celebrities are talking about it. It is like a magical new thing that nobody, basically, the baby boomers were not ready. They, did, they wanted to stay in the dark. Gen Xers are like, screw this. I want to be seen. I want to be heard. And I want to know what's going on. So after 20 years... We are finally bringing our book and this entire brand of healing through laughter of menopause to the menopausal women. Now, I could have seen that as a failure for 20 years, or I could see it as I had to wait for the audience. I had to wait for the media to catch up. Exactly. Way before my time. Yeah, and I think had the media not been there between you, had you been able to go to the folks who were going through it at the time and just said, hey. Here's a little thing for you. I bet it would have caught on more grassroots, but yeah. it would have been hard to reach the audience. Well, there was, that you have there was now. no internet yet. There was, I, oh, that's I right. no way. Yeah, exactly. There <laughs> was, right. I mean, that's what's so incredible. There was no way to get to people. Whereas now it's like we, we literally just put up our new website. It's, you know, menopop.com and it, it's basically, it's been revamped so that there's, you know, this book and there's product and I'm actually creating an, uh, an adaptation of the book as an audiobook. Oh, fun, fun, fun. So, and it's all just to, I mean, welcome people. People have no idea what's going on with them and they're all freaking out and they don't know what the symptoms are. And it's all clinical information. So this is just the silliest, most ridiculous, most fun. We have a menopause fairy telling you what's wrong with you. I mean, it's insane, but it's been really interesting just to your point of, you know, I had to kind of grieve for a while yeah. as we started pulling it out again because it was so much work and so much effort that I felt went into the wind. And before I could really feel positive and wonderful again about the fact that, oh, good, now finally we get to have the impact that we wanted to have, I actually, I, I, I needed to take the time to get really upset and really mad and really just grieve the, the, the time that I didn't get to help all those people. Um, so it's, it was, a, it's been a fascinating ride. And like I said, I'm not dead. So it's a happy ending. <laughs> Hence probably what you'll find the humor level you'll find in the book itself. Um, yeah. and I'm just going to point this out 20 years ago compared mm-hmm. to where you were today. You may have been, and I don't want to diminish you, but a slight less credible ambassador for the book. Oh, I'm still not one. I still don't. I mean, I am in menopause, but I don't look it. So I cannot be the face of it. No, but you. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I didn't know. Menopause can look a lot of different ways. <laughs> and well, it also can start what people don't realize. It can even be exactly. in perimenopause, like way early. Um, so, yeah, I mean, again, this is all part of what we're discovering. But it's true. I mean, I wrote about it back then, but I hadn't had any of the experience of it. Whereas now I'm writing about it with an oh. Boy, I tell you. <laughs> exactly. Like, okay, that's, sister. I'm going to tell you. Well, that's this. it. Let me tell you. I know about the hot flashes. <laughs> I can uh, have, as opposed to like, oh, they sound terrible. But what I will say, and what I hope this book does, is when I did finally start having experiences, instead of freaking out, instead of going, oh my God, I'm dying, I was like, oh, okay, that's what it's like. Like, I was so calm because yeah. I knew what it was to expect. And that's what I think everyone deserves. Information is super powerful, you yeah. know, just to go, okay, not a fan, it'll pass, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, and that's what we say. We're like, we can't, you're not going to, we're not going to make it better, but we're going to help you feel better about the fact that it's happening. 
And laughing helps. Honestly, yeah. it really changes your internal chemistry in your brain. So that really helps get through the stress of some stuff. Some stuff. So. Menopause and other things. Menopause and other things. Okay. So since we started talking about your books, I do have a question for you. You know, you wrote the book, Of Course You Can. Can you talk about that and the whole brand challenging that I can't frame of mind? Yeah. So I grew up as a singer. I was sort of a prodigy singer from little, was doing concerts and all over the world, major singing. So I never really thought about the fact of I can sing. I just loved it. And I would always have people come up to me at once while like, oh, I wish I could sing. I don't think I can sing. And I was like, is that true? I think this is such a God's gift of music and being able to enjoy your song and your voice. And so I thought, I'm going to find out. So out of nowhere in my 20s, I decided to start teaching voice lessons, mostly in order to see if it was true that not everybody could sing. And I had absolutely discovered absolutely anybody can sing two things. One, it may like you may have an operatic voice, but you want to sing country western. So you may have to adjust what your sound is for what you love versus what your sound is. And the other thing is most people just have no idea where to place their sound. Like I found most people who had who were having ear issues and like not quite knowing what the right note was, actually it was because their range was so huge, they didn't know which octave to pick. And once I showed them how to do that, suddenly there was their voices. So I just came away with, I think, honestly, anything is possible. It may not be to the, like, not everyone's going to do Mariah Carey notes, but you can still sing happy birthday with gusto and feel really good and proud of yourself. So I wanted to just explore, you know, and it was, it started out with singing because that's what I, um, you know, come at with a, a bit of a mastery toward. But I really see it as, you know, of course you can dance. Of course you can draw. Of course, of course you can. And the second you say you can, it starts flipping on switches. Like the second you say you can't, everything shuts down. So you're right. If you say you can't do something, I'm going to promise you, you're right. But if you go, well, maybe, mm, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll consider it. You've just opened up the whole world to yourself and anything becomes possible from there. And that's such a powerful place to be, you mm -hmm. know, just to go, who knows? Let's see. Who knows? Yeah. You also may find you didn't like it or you're better at it. Like, but it's, I mean, ultimately, isn't it all just self-discovery? Like, just, I think, I, so. I think the thing I had to learn, and I think it doesn't happen as much when we're younger and a little more self-conscious, but like try stuff and you may be terrible, but at least you tried it. Like I used to do something in um, rehearsals. I, you know, I always had the lead because I just, I would either the lead or not cast because they said I sort of stood out. <laughs> I couldn't be chorus. And so that was a lot of pressure. And it was also a lot of pressure to be good all the time. So what I discovered, I started to do, I would pick a day and I'm like, hi, everyone, I need to be terrible today. I need to try stuff that I think is going to suck or it may be great, but I don't know. But I haven't been trying it because I'm afraid you're going to think I'm terrible. So as long as we all are in agreement today that I'm just going to be bad, I can try stuff. And it puts them at ease because they're not suddenly like, oh, my God, why did we cast this woman? And it puts me at ease because I get to try things that I would normally be embarrassed to try. And it just makes the performance level so much higher because I gave myself permission to just be bad. Well, and. It's kind of get, gets to be a little bit of a game that way, right? Because the pressure's off of you. But I would imagine by you modeling that, other people thought, hey, I could do that. You know, I don't have to be good all the time. That's the hope. I mean, I'm sort of the queen of that. <laughs> I did it in college. I, I was at Sarah Lawrence. And my senior year, there was a philosophy class that everybody and their mother wanted to be a part of. I had never taken philosophy in my life. But I wanted this class because it's about art and the origin of the work of art. So I begged, begged on my knees to the teacher to let me be in. And he, I don't know why, let me in. 
And the first day you have like all these people who, you know, philosophy majors, just brilliant, right? And I raised my hand. I said, hi, I'm Michelle. I would like to be able to ask questions, but I will not know whether I'm being brilliant or completely stupid. So I'm just going to do that and just let me know, oh, that's a stupid thing. Go look it up. Or, oh, my God, we never would have thought of that because you're coming at this brand new. And I said, and if anybody else has questions that they don't want to feel stupid asking, give them to me and I will ask them for you. It was what the happened? best class. I absolutely did that. People would cut. Well, at first, people would come to me with little slips of paper and ask the question. <laughs> but eventually, people just start, you know, because I was so open. Like, I had no ego about it. I just, I just knew that I was going to sometimes say something that was like so 101 elementary that I didn't want to waste people's time, but I wouldn't know the difference. You know, and once in a while, I would also say something that was deeply profound because they were so entrenched that they didn't see. I had such a, an open perspective because I didn't know all the things that they knew. So once in a while, I came up with something that was incredibly brilliant Not all the time. But it, it I, again, I saw, but I did see it trickle. I did see people start to feel comfortable just eh, almost like a, I'm going to be like Michelle. I'm just going to ask a question. You know, what so I Michelle do here? Right, exactly. Raise your hand. But that brings up an interesting thing from my perspective. When we can come at something sideways, Mm -hmm. so like you talked about people being entrenched, right, and super, like either super knowledgeable or entrenched in wanting to have an image that shows they are knowledgeable, right? Mm -hmm. And then someone comes in and looks at it a little sideways and sees something different. Um, That can open up doors in a lot of ways, you know, doors for discussion, doors for innovation, whatever. So I'm wondering... In what other places have you experienced that in your own life, either with someone coming in and asking you a question that's sideways, right? And you're going, ah, I never thought of that. Or you just looked at something, doesn't have to be in school, but just something where you went, I think that could be different. That's kind of my middle name, I think. <laughs> I, I'm sort of known for coming at things very differently. I, I mean, ironically, when I did Schoolhouse, um, that was my, I mean, I had been producing and directing quite some time at that point, but not at that level. So, and I had some different ideas about how to do it. And I, I mean, it was an ABC Emmy award winning product, so I could kind of get away with it. And so I would start implementing some really unique, not done ever things. And people would start yelling at me and say, you can't do it that way. And my response was always, is that because it's never been done that way before or because it's illegal? That's all I need to know. <laughs> and as long, and I made sure I was never illegal, but I was different. And it, it, I, w- I won't lie. Some people really were mad at me. They were very, they were, they were very entrenched in their ways and they were very confused and disturbed by some of the choices I was making. Now within the confines of the people that it was assisting, everyone was 10, per, you know, a thousand percent, uh, you know, with me. And they wanted to do it that way. It was never to the detriment of anyone, but it was just different. So I learned really quickly that I had to be okay with A, trying new things, making sure it was legal, but also not taking personally how upset people were going to get by my my doing that. So I've certainly lost people along the way who just, it, it's, it's too disturbing to them that I can be so... I mean, I'll be the first, I'll explain from here to eternity the, the choices and why. And it's funny when some people finally did, you know, confront me and I would take them through the reasoning, they were fine once they saw why I was doing what I was doing. Cause I don't, I'm not a just try it all. I mean, I'm very, I'm very um, clear and conscious about my choices. I'm very intentional. So if I'm doing something really different, there's a reason. Yeah, I think it can be hard for people to, you know, you get that knee-jerk reaction, you know, like, oh, my God, what is going on here? And instead of being curious and saying, I wonder what's behind this for Michelle, right, Mm -hmm. and and asking you that question, like, how did we get here? Why are we here? What's your vision? Um, But I think, folks, it's almost like a pushback, but it's automatic. And then you have to reel your own self, that self-awareness piece going, okay. I'm just nervous because I don't know how this is going to turn out. And that's the thing that I have learned deeply that, 
you know, A, to always allow people their reaction first as opposed to their response. Because what you really want is a response because that's more considered. And after, you know, ah, you know, whatever cray cray that they're having in that moment, <laughs> allow it. Like, I'm going to hold space for this. I get it. And then see if you can actually have the interesting conversation. Like, I love to hear, okay, why is this bothering you? Let me know. And I will, if, if what they say is accurate and I'm doing something that if they have a better idea than I did, I'm the first one to be like, great, let's do that then. You're right. Like, I'm not so like, it has to be my way or the highway. Like, I'm the first one to be like, that's a better idea. And then people are confused that I'm so quickly able to. It freaks them out. To it. Yeah, like, it does. Who's but, in charge here? But that's, I mean, I think, I mean, I've been very lucky. I was raised by pretty extraordinary humans who gave me a lot of freedom as a child and a lot of, and my mom always said it, she's like, we didn't give you full choice, but we at least gave you two choices. So like, I felt like I was making a choice, you know, when you're little. Um, so I, I was definitely raised not in the way a lot of people were, which is a bit more regimented, a bit more toe the line and a bit more, you know, maybe when you're older, <laughs> you can change the rules or come up with your own rules. I was pretty fluid from a younger age. So I've had more practice at it than most people do, which gives me a, a sympathy so that I, I, I understand when I may be too much for someone. I, I'll reel it in a little bit just to, you know, help them feel comfortable. Uh, right. A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And it's, but it, for folks who that might be brand new for them, you might be the first introduction of like, step onto the uncomfortable zone, just a toe or two and let's yeah. see how it goes. No. And that, and big point, just a toe. Like I never ask someone to jump in the deep end with me. I think that's dangerous, frankly. I think everyone needs to do those those babies. And I always say, let's just, let's just take one, let's hold hands, and let's just take that one little step, and let's just see how it feels. And if it feels great, then great, we can move forward. If it doesn't, stop. Like I, I am so not about you have to. I, like I don't, I'm not a believer in changing people's belief systems unless they want it. Yeah, and I'm not sure. I mean, I think people can tell us they've changed our belief systems, but I'm not sure we actually do because that's such an internal. It's that's just internal, internal right? Yeah. And sometimes you they change because you've lived long enough or experienced things in a way that change you and you can be open to that. But beating someone over the head or making them feel uncomfortable, I've not found that. I know for me... I don't change much when that happens. It's like, thank you. Nice to know you. Right. Bye. That's it. And like you said, ultimately, you hope the change is simply by being an example. Like, I would rather model behavior that people go, I'm going to try that than say, you should do this this way. Like, that That doesn't seem human to me. That doesn't seem nice. Like, I'm all mean. about. Well, it's, it's mean. It's also a little egoic. Um, and, and I'm and very demeaning, and it's it's assuming that your way is the is the better way, and it may not be. So well, I love. If you've lived long enough, you know that it isn't always the better way. Right. Totally. Yeah. Saying you're saying, whoops, that wasn't my best thought at that moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I I've seen that one. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> let's. I want to talk some about your nonfiction books. Are you good going there? Okay. So you have a series of nonfiction books that you've written um, mm -hmm. specifically for young adults and well, or individuals of all age and ages, but really helping us find our autonomous, autonomous power, right? Amidst chaos, confusion, darkness. So how were those books informed by your own experiences as a young adult? Were they? Um, partly. I... I always had a lot of abilities that I didn't know what to do with. And it wasn't just as a creator. Um, you know, I would just hear things. I would see things. And it took me a long time to realize no one else was hearing or seeing them. Um, so I spent a lot of my childhood or, or teenage years not dealing with it at all. I didn't have a family that understood it. Um, so I was just either scared or in denial. I think that's the best way to put it. So it wasn't until my 20s that I started meeting people who understood this world, understood that there's more to the eye than what we see, and saw how much I had not even begun to explore my own capacity with that. So 
as I started to discover how many juicy tidbits I, I get to have and I go around the world, people started coming to me. And a lot of it were parents with their kids who were freaking out, you know, scared of the dark, saying that they were seeing things. And I started working with the kids, working with the adults. And it wasn't about your, their right. Of course, they're seeing something. No clue. Like, who cares? The bottom line was, how does that person get empowered? How does that kid feel safe and not scared and that they're the ones in the body and in charge? So what I would always tell the parent is like, I don't care what you believe. I don't care if you think your kid is crazy or if you think they're imagining it or if it's true. All I care about is, and I started coming up with sort of a protocol that, that seems to work every single time. Of how, And it, it's, just, it's not just for kids. It's also adults who are still scared and haven't been helped. And it's, it's very much, I mean, in our world these days, I mean, I just call it your gut. Like when you have this gut feeling and something feels creepy, what do you do about that? And there's some really simple ways, whether it's an inner issue, whether it's external. And most of it, honestly, is about love. Like when you say to something outside of yourself, do you love me? Whether it's something ephemeral or whether it's a real person, they're going to leave if they don't. <laughs> you know what I mean? So the, the pressure of the feeling leaves. Yeah, because if something has nefarious or not good intent for you and you receive it in a loving way. I mean, think of it even I use it for bullies. Imagine a bully coming at you and you're like, I love you. Are you OK? Like what? <laughs> I mean, that just short circuits them yeah. completely. So it's to me, this is about the bullies either in the flesh or the bullies that could be of a darker, um, ephemeral type, whichever it is. Again, I don't care as long as it helps. So Michelle, does that work as well? Like when the bullies are the internal dialogue we have with ourselves? It's a great question. I think it's a part of it. I think it's a bit, there's more to it when it's an internal. A uh, voice that we're hearing that's literally ourselves being negative to ourselves. But imagine if the first thing you hear, like, you stupid, stupid person be like, Oh, you know what? I'm going to love you right now. I'm not going to correct you. I'm not going to do, I'm just going to hold space and let's just sit here and love each other and feel stupid. Like just starting there kind of dissipates a lot of the tension. And then, because, you know, that Einstein quote, you can't cure something from the same space that you were in. So you're not going to solve it if you're still bitter, angry, or mad. But if you kind of punch the balloon and deflate it a little bit with some love and with some sympathy, with some compassion, then you may still be mad. You may still think you're a little stupid, but at least you can start to imagine ways out of that that are that are a bit more open and, and more possible. Yeah. Well, it's hard to move into an uncomfortable feeling when you think you're going to be chastised or beaten up further, whether it's from you or an external bully or anything else. Of course. That is very disarming, though, to yeah. confront it in that way. Yeah. And what happened as a result of that when parents started doing that with their kids? It, it, I mean, it was so funny because the kids I usually spent the least amount of time with. I would spend maybe 10 minutes saying, oh, hey, da 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 da. It's like, okay. And then they're fine. The parents I would need to talk through for about an hour or two to help them understand. I just eventually, I think you said one of the books is called Actually, There Is Something Under the Bed. And I just put it all into a protocol. Um, and it, it's endless. I and mean, people still call me all the time. Um, but I, I, can, I can say, you know, if I have time, great. And if not, at least read this book. There's just very basic protocol so that people can can get through their night in ways that aren't as upsetting. So they have practical tools in them, even if they yeah. can't speak with you in person. Yeah. And what's, it's amazing to me. I have, it is very rare that it doesn't work. And if it doesn't work, it's usually something that's so deep and heavy that it needs, you know, bigger attention. And that's either, and that can either be medical attention, which I will immediately send someone to, or it could be spiritual attention, which I can handle. Um, so you, you, you can tell. Yeah, this is part of your eclectic um, <laughs> traveling bag, I would say. The threads that make up 
your tapestry. But I want to stay on the topic of trusting your gut instincts a little longer. Um, And you talk about just trusting it being transformative. So who did you create your intuition toolkit for? That one I feel like it's for people who are pretty much past the fear or the this is impossible. They're they're the curious ones or the ones who know they have something going on but don't talk about it or are afraid of it or just curious in general about the topic. It's really it it very much takes you through sort of the initial just like ask yourself the questions of why are you why do you want to know about this? And I give a whole bunch of questions to ask yourself. And then cool, here's ways to do it safely because you don't want to do, I actually wrote a novel about a Ouija board and little kids and, you know, don't want to do it that way. No. Ixnay on the Ouija Ixnay board. on the friends. Ouija, <laughs> unless you're doing it properly, which is creating a safe space. Like there's a lot of just tools that I give forth yeah. in order to look at things properly and look at them safely and then really discern. I talk about like all of our superpowers. Like we have, it's all sensual. It's our senses. Like which of our senses are more heightened? Like, do you see things more than other people? Do you smell things more often? And those are usually your your extra extraordinary Let's senses. Let's dive into that a little bit more because I think um, I know when when I speak with folks who are either some medium, some more highly sensitive, intuitive types, whatever label you put on them, um, it's different for each person. But there's an assumption that it's the same for each person. So mm-hmm. let's talk a little bit more about the distinctions and how someone listening to us today might go, oh, yeah. I've never thought of it like that. Yeah. This is my favorite. I, I give lectures and webinars and lecture on my I know. It's so it's just, well, here's the thing. My feeling is the more we trust ourselves and we can trust our own yeses and nos, the less confused we will be about our lives and about the world. Like fake facts or, you know, false news, all that stuff. You, if you are in tune with yourself and your sense of self, and you can ask yourself if that's accurate or not and get an answer that you trust, that I think will change the world. And it is so possible to do. So Yes, there are different, you know, there's clairvoyant, there's claircognizant, like there's totally all these different ways. Some people, I call it the witch, the wizard, and the, um, and the sorcerer. If you're a witch, yes, if you're a witch, you need physical things. You'll need a tarot card or you touch something and you like spells and you have a cauldron. Like, you know, it's, it's literally your tactile in terms of, making your magic and your mojo happen. So you're someone who is going to go more towards, and that can even be like you listen to music, like you need music to uh, move you. So it doesn't have to be witchy in the sense of, you know, becoming a witch. But, but it's, it's of, an interaction. It's an interaction. And that's what spurs you to have a sense of what's going on. Wizards are literally, they're reading, they're learning spells, and they're, they're conjuring, and they're casting spells with their wands. So there's an interaction, almost like an intellectual interaction. And once you learn the proper words, and that could be even your own words, what's your mantra that when you say that mantra, you're like, I just read uh, Jessica Chastain was taught in at Juilliard that just before she goes on stage, she should say, I'm a genius, whether you feel it or not. And like, that's her wizard mantra. She calls herself a genius and she goes off and becomes a genius on stage. And then there's sorcerer, which is more of what I am, which is, you know how you just suddenly know something and there's uh-huh. no reason why you should know it? It's because you sourced the material. You went to source. Now, whatever belief system you want to be about that, whether it's matrix or whether it's, you know, Gaia and the earth or whether it's your inner belly telling you something, you just know stuff. And the more you allow that to be the case and don't, throw it away like it's not possible the more it starts talking to you so to me however you can source your talents whether they are you know visual or you know some people smell stuff and if it smells really bad they know that's not good or you could some you know again using your senses 
And once you start exam, and I, I go through that in the book, you can figure out which version you are. And once you're there, then you can start playing. And the way I think people, the, the easiest, like anybody can do this, whether they want to get into the spiritual world or not, this is literal, just actual muscle work. If you want to know your own personal yeses or nos, don't think it. Your mind is never going to tell you the accurate thing. It's just going to keep you safe and tell you whatever you want to hear. If you go below your neck into your body, your body is going to tell you the truth, whether you want it or not. <laughs> so if you're in your body and you're relaxed and you ask the question and like do something really simple, like ask, you know, or, or state something like if I stated, my name is Charlie. Like I literally, I can't breathe well and my body collapses, my heart stops. Like it doesn't feel right. It's inaccurate. If I say my name is Michelle, even the way I said it, Charlie got yeah. much more Michelle open. was much more open and my body opened. So I just found out my yes and my no. My no, my something that's not true, I cave in and I constrict. My yes is my voice opens, my body opens. So if people just start playing with that, doing things they know are accurate, like the actual, you know, my birth date, my wrong birth date, my mom's name, my not, you know, make it real. And then the more you play with that and it starts to become something you can depend on, then you can start asking questions you may not know the answer to and see how your body reacts and then look it up and see if you were right. And that's when you start opening up to kind of other dimensional abilities. Well, and even the, the exercise in your body yes. in and of itself can be really grounding. Right. It seems like when you're thinking about the stress and is this news real or not, it's like, okay, if I can get back into my body and be grounded and what you're describing, you really can't do unless you're in your body. Like right. you have to be connected because um, our little brains, they'll spin us out. And like you said, their jobs to protect us. Mm -hmm. Don't go oh, there. Don't do that. Right. And here's the thing. Our minds are wonderful. They've just been yeah. given 90% of the show instead of the 20% they should have. Yeah. So we just haven't trained ourselves to trust the rest of our bodies. We only trust our minds because that's what our culture really puts a major stamp of value on. So it, it, you're already going against the culture and against the world by saying, hey, wait a minute. I'm actually going to listen to myself, myself first before I listen to all of you. And I'm going to trust that my body is going to tell me what's best for me. Like when I was ill, it was really interesting because I was very lucky that I had doctors who were willing for me to say, my body is telling me this is what I need. And them going, okay, let's look that up. Because I had some weird stuff on with me. It was nothing normal. And so together with my, now I'm not pretending I was a doctor and could do Western medicine and should do my own surgery by any stretch of imagination. <laughs> However, between their incredible knowledge and my ability to be really, I mean, even in my fear, I mean, I was not always in my body. I was freaking out. Sure. But as much as I could, I would be in my body and I would listen. And together we would have the conversation of this is what I'm getting. What do you think? And, to, and now it's funny, one of my doctors, she's this lovely Indian woman. I adore her. And this was not her world, if you can imagine. But she's so used to me and I've been so like miraculously cured that I'll literally walk in for like a checkup. And she's like, oh, what do your friends have to say? <laughs> and I'm like, no, let's hear what you have to say first. And then I'll tell you what they have to say. It's like, then I'll tell so, you what Paul's saying. Exactly. Exactly. But that's it. It's like it's it's a group effort. It, we're, it, we are a village. And the more we are open to our own abilities plus other people's instead of instead of. That's, I think, such a key to our, our just feeling better and, and making better choices for ourselves. And there's an ease that comes with that. Yeah. You know, and I just, I was thinking last weekend, I can't believe it's only been a weekend, but um, so I was, I was traveling, uh -huh. going down to work with some of my favorite people in the whole world, right? But I get up there, they're up in the mountains. We're going to have two days together. But this is one of these things that came together really quick at the end. And I'm thinking, I'm really unclear of what's happening the next few days. I had my, in my head, I had an outline. I had a plan. I always have a plan. So I'm in my hotel room and um, 
the head for the organization texts me. It's like eight o'clock at night. We're going to be showing up together at seven thirty, seven forty-five the next morning. She goes, "Did you make it up the hill?" I'm thinking, "Yes, I'm up the hill, right?" This, I mean, like everybody's life has been hectic, and and we're in the middle of graduation time, right? Adults are thinking about their kids and all these other things. When I says, "I'm here," what time are we starting tomorrow? I says, "What time did you tell everybody I'll be there?" She goes, yeah, I'll be right back to you. So she had realized at the 11th hour, like she had forgotten to close communication loops. So I just, in the next morning, I thought, okay, I'm not sure what I'm walking into. I've been to this location before, but what I do know is it has great vibes and we're going to work it out. And I'm not alone in this, right? That was the main thing I thought. I have guidance. I have inner guidance. I have experience. But mostly I thought you're just going to listen and see what needs to happen. So I gave him an agenda. I said, so here's your agenda. This is how it might go. But I can already tell you from speaking to your noon person, it's not going this way. So you can use it to reflect on, make notes on. But things, weird things happened all, all the two days we were there. Like the next day I showed up, power just went out, which was fine. I wasn't, it wasn't high tech, except that the building needed heat. So honestly, Ooh. the whole thing like that. But it was one of the best connection things because throughout it was like check in what do they need right you know and like what are you how read the room basically by energy and what's happening and but just checking into how i felt first and i was never nervous i wasn't worried i thought it's going to be great and it ended up being really good but it was so so many oddball things happened but it was great so it's that, but staying here, I mean, there's been times that I would have gone, okay, how am I going to shift the agenda around? I just, I thought we're not going to worry about the agenda. At the end of two days, everything will be covered. And so, but it's that part, Michelle, that has taken a while to practice and learn so you can settle into it when really what you want to do is go, what the heck? Mm-hmm. You know? Well, and here's the thing. It's absolutely a muscle. You know, I am way more facile now than I was when I started. On the other hand, I still have moments of, uh, what's happening? <laughs> and forgetting. Like, it's not, you, you're, you're never perfect. You're never, you know, you never get it all the time. You just, again, like I said, you just get quicker at getting out of whatever messy head you got into. But I also think that, honestly, the more you jump into the truth of yourself and being in that world, you are literally opening up to the magic of the world, which is suddenly yeah. going to make it miraculous and also a little scary. Because if you're not used to magic happening and you being like, oh my God, that's the coolest thing ever, it's a little unsettling. So if Do you notice when that happens that it's all around you all the time? Yes. And in fact, with me, people notice around me. Like I can't hide it. I used to hide it. And I can't anymore because it start magic starts happening around me to everybody in who's in my vicinity. And so I have to take a moment to help people acclimate and be okay with it. Um, because it's, sometimes it's really out of left field and not a normal, like I, there is not much in my life that is a normal experience in the way most people think of a normal experience. Now it's normal for me. So I have to sometimes remember that that's not how everybody else functions. And I'm not asking everyone else to function that way. But I do invite people to find out what their magical life can be. Because, you know, it may not be as overt as mine is. (laughs) But I think I'm here partly to be that person on the planet. Um, But you can have your own little private, like, giggles and chuckles. and like, oh, I just got my parking space. I'm a rock star. You know, whatever it is. Like my mom always laughs because she's like, you're really telling me what I should make for dinner from your guidance. And I'm like, yeah, we need to eat well. Like she's, it's like, it can be that mundane. And I'm like, of course it's, I have, I call it my psychic secretary and it will tell me like oh, a perfect example, us meeting, I would have done a different time, but my crew said, no, 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 make it this time. And I didn't understand why until today, up until two minutes before we got on, there was a lawn service. I had no idea they were coming. <laughs> if we had done this any earlier, that would have been a disaster. So let me give you a clue. I never, we're recording this on a Monday at 2 p.m. my time. 
Uh I never leave Mondays open for podcast interviews, Michelle. So when I saw it on my calendar, I thought, well, that's so interesting. How did Michelle get there? (laughs) It's the only day I have. That's why. But I went, I'm going, oh, well, she's here. It's a great day for me. Timing's good. That's hilarious. But I mean, that's what I mean. It's like, I'm at the point where literally the universe shifts and you shift. And But what's nice is you were fine about it. Oh, had I not been fine about it, I would have just emailed you and said, we got to reschedule. Of course. But I just laughed. I thought, oh, that's so interesting. I wonder how that showed up on a Monday at 2 p.m. My my crew was working. (laughs) Your crew was working. Okay. I could keep talking forever, but I have a couple more questions I want to ask you. Sure. Um, And you may have already started going down this uh, path. But okay. you have so much experience with your, cre- you know, like your creative endeavors. They're kind of in different arenas, mm-hmm. writing, entertainment. So what is something you haven't done yet that you go, I would love to do that? Now, you talked earlier about some plans, but I don't know if this is one of your current plans or something that you're going, yep, this would totally light me up to do this as an opportunity or a collaboration or something out there for you that you're thinking of? Well, it's so funny because the list of my endeavors are so long that I will have to come back several lifetimes to get them all done. Um, so for me, I mean, again, I've been very lucky that from early, by the time I was five, at, at five, I wanted to be a magician. And by the time I was six, I was performing. So like I knew really early my trajectory and my, my wanting to tell stories and and help shift people. So for me, it's just a question of, like I have several movies that I cannot wait to make, but now we have the the strike going on. So it's like, ah, you know, so getting to the other side of, of the world, getting organized so that I can make these movies are incredibly exciting. And all these other projects that, um, like really, really, the, um, the my current entertainment company is actually a, a somewhat new one. I've had other companies beforehand. But we have a roster that is just, I mean, it's like I, I am shaking. I get so excited by how many projects, um, you know, so it's like Menopop. It's like, oh, let's get that out there because we've already done that. We want to do other things, you know, and I want to do that too. And it's just, there's not enough hours in the day. Okay. So this, I wasn't going to ask you because I didn't even know to ask you, but I just listened to this really great interview between Tim Ferriss and David. Meisel, 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 Marvel Comics Universe guy. Uh-huh. And I don't know, but it was about like all the behind the scenes decisions that go into like basically having what you have, like, okay, how do we sequence our intellectual property? And then working with a board, risk averse, mm-hmm. who says this project that you're proposing, you can't have risks on it, right? But just thinking about things that for him, he says, honestly, it almost went under, right? Until it, he had to keep changes, sticking with it. Yeah. Something he proposed, and I think it was 04, didn't happen until 14. And because people delayed, it cost the people, other people he suggested, billions, literally yeah. billions more because the value went up. So I'm wondering, that's what, what kind of made me think about this, where you're at with it. So you already have things lined up in your house of what's next. Okay. And so... When you're at that stage, do you already have your talent lined up and, and you have a vision for how things are going to go forward? Or are you in the shopping it stage to get it out there? It, it's, I, it's different things for different projects. Okay. Um, and what you, I mean, this, if we're talking particularly around film, film is sort of a weird, you, you have to keep managing you know, do you have the money when I have the actor? When I have the actor, I'll have the money. So it's just like this weird massage that you need to keep doing to pull. So, you know, you just keep pulling in all the aspects and then you have to make sure everybody's available at the time that you need. I mean, it's just it's this wonderful, awful. Well, it's a balancing in. act. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. So like I just found my director for one of my movies and I adore her, but we can't work on the movie because. I can't make any changes to a script right now. So it's like, okay, I got that piece. Now I have to wait. Um, So, but then, but then that's why I'm working on menopause right now, because there's no strike against menopause at the moment, which is awesome. So, 
it just, you know, that's also part of why I have so many, use so many things because they're all in, they'll be in, you know, development. Then there's pre-production, which is where you, where you were talking about getting everybody organized. Yep. And there's production where you're filming. And then there's post where you're doing all the editing and putting the whole piece together. Then there's the marketing where you start telling people, hey, we've got this great thing. And then it depends on whether it's going to the festivals or it's going to be on the streamers or in the movie theater. So it's just, I mean, it's, it's amazing. I, it's funny. I didn't get into film until way late in the game. I was pure theater person and I had this crazy, I mean, people just fell crazy in love with one of my scripts to the point where I was sent to Hollywood to all the major, major, major agencies. I, nobody gets, everyone kept saying, you didn't have those meetings. I'm like, no, I had them already. They're like, you couldn't have had those meetings. You're, you're not the person who would have them. And you're not at the stage for that. I'm like, yeah, well, they left the script. Like, minds exploded. I did everything you were not supposed to do. But again, you go with, th- that's the magic. When you just, yeah, trust. Yeah. I mean, I did not, I mean, I literally went to a networking party and everyone heard about this project and the suit came up to me. You want the suit? He's like, you're going to go to AFI, uh, a- no, AFM. I'm like, what's that? I didn't know what it was. He's like, it's the American film market. I'm like, that's nice. This is in New York. He's like, it's in Santa Monica next week. You're going. I'm like, what talk about? Next thing I know, I'm on a plane. Oh, so that's the just, magic, you like ha- you said. Right, but you have to be open. I mean, I definitely have moments of like, this is insane, but I don't say no. I just say, okay, and I go with it. I call it, I follow the bouncing ball. And most of it makes no sense if you're trying to be rational about it. But it makes a lot of sense when I tune into myself and say, okay, this feels right. So for folks, and now I'm taking it out of the realm of the work that you do, and I want to, I'm generalizing into business. Mm -hmm. Um, Would you recommend that folks also have kind of like what would be in your world, like their backlog of things they want to do, right? That they can be working on at the same time they're working on something so that they're not waiting on something else but the momentum keeps going is that part of the power of that i think you have to know yourself okay so i think some people are really good at multitasking and at being polymaths and having a lot of things and then it's like oh whichever ones i'm working on right now makes me happy whereas other people need to be very in-depth about a specific thing so i would just say for someone who needs to just focus on one thing just make sure you have life and love and things outside of it so that if it's not happening and you don't want to work on something else, you're not just sitting there waiting and losing your mind because that's, that's where you get into trouble. Um, I, I tried just doing one thing for a while just to see what that was like. And I got very far because I'm very focused, but I didn't like it. I didn't like the in-between stages where I had to wait on things and I wasn't doing four other things. So now I have... From, and again, that's I know myself. I know that and I'm also very good at, you know, switching brains to different projects. Because for me, they feed different parts of me and they feed different messages that I want to give to the world and different stories like film versus television versus we have like a corporate entertainment thing that we're doing versus singing versus doing sessions for people and helping guide them in their inner life. You know, it's just like a mishmash. It is a mishmash. I mean, to some people, I seem to make absolutely no sense. But once they meet me, they seem to be like, oh, I see. That all goes together. (laughs) Well, and that kind of having that mix to help keep you full, not just for activity's sake, but for all the different parts of us, right? Yeah. So So I I guess to finish that, it, it may not be business, a lot of business things, but like make sure, you know, you play the violin or you go to a dance concert, or you go to that sports thing, like don't, don't get so stuck that you don't give yourself life experiences outside of what you're doing. Okay, last question. So because we're going to wrap this one, although I I can have you back. So, (laughs) um, but this might be difficult, because I'm asking you for a key takeaway, but you might have more than one. So answer how it feels right to you. But is there a key takeaway or a lesson you've learned or parting words of wisdom that you want to give to our listeners 
so they can benefit from your experiences and apply them into their own lives. Hmm. I would I I use the word listen. Listen more to yourself. Like don't just throw away things like your your body's talking to you your mind is talking to you actually take the time and get still and listen and give it the time it may take a minute to pop up because you're nervous or you don't know if you want to hear it but if you give yourself that time to listen to yourself it's going to be instrumental and then i would also say take the time to listen when people are talking to you don't just be planning what you're going to say next. Don't be planning dinner. Actually hold space and let that person tell you something. And even pause before you then say something back. But like, I, I, I wish more people really listened because then you'll hear, you'll hear if someone's actually in distress, even though they're talking like everything's fine. Or you hear that someone's hiding something and maybe you're the person who can help them. Well, you hear this incredible thing that you missed because you were busy thinking about something else. Like, I just, I just think the more we, we open our ears and it's, it, listen is almost opening your eyes, like notice, just, just use, use, use the environment and your environment. And, and there's so much richness there. Michelle, I want to thank you for being a guest on the podcast. I was excited to talk to you going into this, and now I'm more excited to know you, and I know we'll have further conversations. So oh, that's wonderful. Um, with that, I just, again, I'm grateful that you're on the podcast, and um, I wish you all the best. Thank you. Can I give people a place to find me if they need? You can, and it's going to be in the show notes as well. Oh, then we're good. Excellent. So, But I will say, do find me. I know I sound busy, but I, I take time. Like I will, I will take a time if you have a question, because I think that's important to give back. You've been listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author, change agent and strategic vision coach, Sarah Box. You can grab the show notes and find out how to work with Sarah at sarahbox.com forward slash no labels, no limits podcast. We'd love this podcast to reach as many people as possible. So please remember to rate, leave a five-star review and share the podcast with someone you think would get value from this conversation. Until next time, keep taking those daily action steps to align your purpose to your principles and achieve your goals in business and life.